Well, dear friends, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5. If you don't have a Bible, that's absolutely fine. Uh, the passage should be written and recorded in that worship guide. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, we have uh, free copies of the Bible that you can pick up on your way out at the welcome table. Black hardback ESV Bibles, which is a gift for you. We want to get Bibles into the hands of the people who don't have Bibles. And so please feel free to take one of those. Uh, but we're looking at 1 Thessalonians 5, just two verses, verses 23 and 24. Uh, this will be the basis of our meditation this morning. And so even though we are outside, even though we just stood, I want to invite you to stand. Uh, we are a people of the book, the people of the Word of God, and so we stand as our act of worship for the reading and receiving of God's Word this morning. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. Please be seated. And I'd like to invite you to pray with me once more. Lord, we're so thankful for this day, this occasion, this gathering, the saints, and all those who have come today, visitors, guests, friends, family. Lord, and I pray that in this time as we hear now from uh, your word, that you would encourage us, that you would uh, help us to take our thoughts um, off of ourselves, off of the immediate plane and the horizon in front of us, and to cast our eyes upward, to be reminded of you, who you are, your goodness and your faithfulness, kindness and grace to us. Please, O oh Lord, encourage us in this hour, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. It's really great to celebrate and gather and worship with you all today uh, on this momentous occasion. Um, by the Lord's providence, it just so happened that the 20th anniversary of this church fell on a Sunday. And so that when we gather to regularly worship God, we also can rejoice in this great um, time of faithfulness as we remember. Now, uh, many of you may not know this, uh, but the reason that September 12th, the reason uh, that it's uh, pretty clear for us is um, all of the uh, official paperwork to register Cornerstone as an independent entity was uh, meant to be submitted on September 11th, 2001. Uh, but as we remember, and as we remembered yesterday, uh, the many uh, lost lives and uh, the bravery of, of many of those who, who served and, and stepped up. Um, if you remember 20 years ago, all the offices uh, were closed, and so the paperwork was uh, submitted on September 12, 2001. And so it's uh, why we celebrate our 20th anniversary on this day. Now, Cornerstone, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, the official registered name is Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Lansdale. And uh, the church began really with their roots in the borough of Lansdale, just a few streets down from where we currently worship. Um, but even though the church began in Lansdale, much like the Israelites in the Old Testament, uh, we were cast into exile and we were without home for many years. And uh, during that time, Cornerstone really wandered the wilderness desert um, known as Montgomery County. And we met in various locations and buildings and various churches and also at a gym uh, for a period of time. Until finally, by God's grace, he led us across the Jordan River, otherwise known as 309. Uh, and so we crossed 309 in great faith from the land of Chalfont, and we entered the promised 
Lansdale. <laughs> I, I worked on that joke for quite some time, and I hope you appreciate that. Uh, but Lansdale has been our home for the past two and a half years. Now, truth be told, uh, it wasn't just the God's grace that brought us back into Lansdale. Uh, at every moment of this church's existence, God's faithful hand was upon us, and it was only by his amazing grace that he has sustained us. Uh, the fact that Cornerstone turns 20 is in no way a testament to the greatness of this church. None at all. It is a testament to the graciousness of God. Now, next month, I will be entering my sixth year as pastor here of Cornerstone, and it's uh, in my own personal experience uh, that I can say that God has been far more kind to us than we could ever expect, and indeed, He is far more kind to us than we should ever deserve. And so this morning, as we gather, uh, we all need this simple reminder. If it's by God's faithfulness that we got this far, it'll only be by God's continual faithfulness that we can go any further. Now, for some people, uh, 20 years doesn't seem like much a milestone. Uh, there are some, country, uh, some churches in this country where churches are 200 years old. Uh, but the reality is that in our day and age, every year there are um, thousands of churches that are permanently closing their doors. Uh, there are thousands of new churches that are being planted. And so to find a church that can celebrate 20 years is actually a big deal because it's becoming increasingly rare. Now, that's just not statistically. I mean, theologically, uh, it's quite a miracle that any church could last this long simply because of the fact that the people who make up the church are often broken uh, sinners, inward, bent, selfish people. You know, the reality is that churches are full of imperfect people. And some of you have uh, maybe in your lives experienced these kinds of people firsthand. And you know exactly the type of people I'm talking about. But also without meaning any offense, uh, all of you contribute in your own way to that imperfection. You know, they say there is no such thing as a perfect church. And if you find one, please don't join it because you'll just mess it up. Now, quite frankly, um, if I can share, you know, I'm always a little surprised as a pastor uh, when people are surprised that there are such things like gossip and hypocrisy and division and jealousy and backstabbing in the church. The reason I'm surprised that people are surprised is because that is, after all, what sinners are prone to do. If you enter a hospital, nobody is shocked and appalled at the sheer number of sick people. If you're sick, you go to a hospital. In the same way, if you come to church, which is a spiritual hospital, we shouldn't be so shocked when we encounter those sick with sin and selfishness. You know, it's a reality a far too common story uh, that maybe you've experienced yourself or you heard of a church where its members have disagreed and fought and then split. Very unfortunate, sad stories. It reminds me of this old preacher's tale. Uh, there was a man who was trying to sail the Pacific Ocean by himself. He was caught in a great storm and ended up stranded on a deserted island for 10 years. And one day, a large ship appeared on the horizon, and he lit a huge fire to catch their attention. And when the rescue, uh, rescuers rowed to shore, they noticed three huts on the beach. And so they asked the man, we thought you were here alone. Why are there three huts? Oh, that's easy to explain, the man responded. The first hut is my home. The second hut is my church. Well, what's the third hut, they asked. Oh, that one? That's the church I used to attend. 
Even on a deserted island at a church where he was the only member, the man still found a reason to leave and start a new church. Now, I don't share this because I want to be cynical on this day of celebration and Thanksgiving, but I share this because we do need a sober view of the church, not a fanciful one. You know, church can be a grimy, sticky, smelly, ugly place. And I don't mean the building, I mean the people. We can be hurt by the church, we can be burned by the church, betrayed by the church, disillusioned by the church. Many of us have. Many of us have also contributed to these things as well. But, despite all of that, we can't and we shouldn't give up on the church. Simply because of this. God does not. God does not. The Bible likens the church to Christ a bride, and Jesus does not believe in divorce. He will never leave his bride nor forsake his people. He will never give up on the church. That means his commitment to the church is not conditioned nor contingent upon the beauty of the church, the success of the church, or the perfection of the church. In fact, God's commitment to the church has nothing to do with the church itself or anything he discovers in her. It has everything to do with what he finds in himself, and that is his faithfulness. By his grace, God chooses to be faithful to us. You know, we're celebrating 20 years, but 20 years in no way reflects or proves that this church is somehow superior or more steadfast than other churches. Today is not an occasion to celebrate ourselves and say, wow, look how far we've come. Wow, we really did it. Aren't we so great? No, not at all. It would be really good for us to remember that it's only by God's gracious and faithful hand that we have come this far. Now, we said we would look at 1 Thessalonians, and 1 Thessalonians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he absolutely loved and adored. And in this book, Paul writes some of the most beautiful and heartwarming words that he ever did to a church. Now, many of us are familiar with passages like 1 Corinthians 13, that great love passage that is often uh, read and recited in weddings. But Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. I just want you to hear these words. Imagine the Apostle Paul saying this about you. He says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. The language is so gracious and generous. This church was his hope, his joy, his glory, his crown of boasting. And it can almost seem like Apostle Paul here is being a bit naive. Like he's a, a ninth grade boy with a crush on a girl who also likes him back. And so he can only see the good things about her. We may be tempted to think, oh, Paul's being idealistic here. He's speaking from cloud nine. But no, Paul knew exactly the problems in the church. Paul knew there were issues in the church. He knew that what Thessalonica posted on their Instagram page was all cropped and edited, that there was a reality behind it that was hidden. So this church, yeah, they had the, their fair share of problems and issues. And in fact, if you read 1 Thessalonians, Paul spends time addressing them. Those who began to question them, those who were being lazy because they said, oh, Jesus is coming back. I can live however I want. Those who were grieving as if the resurrection weren't true. He confronts all these issues. And as he ends his letter then, as he closes his letter, he pens these words in verses 23. No, 
Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul makes it clear that this church was still a work in progress and in need of sanctification. He makes it clear that they had not arrived. They were a church still under repair. They had a ways to go. But Paul also believed that God would get them there. And that it was only God who could get them there. That's why he prays, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely until the end, keeping you blameless. Now think about that prayer for a second. If a church as praiseworthy as the Thessalonian church still has much room for sanctification, areas to grow, kinks to be worked out, you and I better believe that any church here on earth now still needs to be sanctified, that every church is a work in progress, that its people are far from being who they will one day be. And yes, I'm even speaking about this church. Some of you may already know this about me. I can make this confession. I am an awful speller. An awful speller. It began early in my life. Now I have clear memories panicking in the third grade when I knew we had a spelling quiz, and so I began cheating. All those words that I knew I had a hard time spelling, I would take a piece, I would take a uh, pencil, and on my chair, I would write out those words at the beginning of homeroom. And then when the class came, or when the quiz came, I would put my head down as if I was thinking, and I would open my legs, and I would peer at the words I had written. I would copy them out. And then, of course, right before recess or lunch, uh, when everyone was standing up and dismissed, I would erase it. You have to do pencil. I'm not encouraging you, but <laughs> if you were to do it, you would need to do pencil. Now, um, I was debating whether to share this or not, but for transparency's sake, even when I was writing this and I, word, I wrote the word recess, uh, my computer told me I spelled it wrong. You know, and this habit of never learning to spell correct me, uh, uh, correct, uh, to do correct spelling, uh, followed me into high school, into college, and even to graduate school. And so even now, if you were ever to peer over my shoulder and look at me writing an email or a sermon, you would see all of these red squiggly lines underneath every misspelled word, and they, there would be a lot. But it's okay, because what you're seeing is just a draft. The email isn't sent yet. The sermon isn't printed yet. The blog isn't posted yet. But you better believe that once it's ready to be sent or printed or posted, I will ensure that every squiggly line is taken care of. I'll spend hours editing to make sure that nothing is misspelled, that every red squiggly line is made perfect. Do you know that every church you have ever been a part of, that you, you have ever visited, Every single church under the sun has a big red squiggly line under it because the church is still in draft form. Every church has a lot that needs to be corrected. Every church needs the God of peace to sanctify them completely. And this is because God is not yet done with this church. And he won't be until Christ returns. Now consider for a second what kind of hope that holds forth. God is in the process until Jesus returns of sanctifying her, his church, of covering her blemishes, of, of cleaning up the mess that there is in my life and in your life and in our lives. You know, all, 
about the church, everything that turns you off and disgusts you, frustrates you, one day will be taken care of finally and fully. And it will only be on that final day that the church will be sanctified completely, radiating with the beauty that Christ has bestowed upon her. But until that day, we must have a realistic view of the church, an unfiltered view of her that shows even the most unattractive sides, warts and all, wrinkles and all. We are not yet what we will be because God is not yet done with the church. And dear friends, if God is not yet done with the church, then you should not be done with her either. Even when she fails and disappoints, Instead, we learn faithfulness and commitment because God is faithful and committed. We endure through the church's flaws and faults. That means it's okay for a church to confess our mistakes. We confess our own failures. It's okay. Why? Because God is not done with us. So this is why we press on, serve the church, love the church, commit to the church, and most importantly, to be the church. Because the promise given to us in verse 24 is this, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Consider those words carefully. The church will persevere until Christ returns, not because the church is so faithful, not because its, diligent, its members are so diligent or its motivation so pure, not because its mission is so noble or its vision so compelling, nor its fruit so abundant. The church will persevere until the end because God is so faithful. And as if knowing we won't believe him, Paul assures us he will surely do it. It doesn't say he might do it or he'll try to do it, that he plans to do it or he'll get around to doing it. It says he will surely do it. And so we hold on to God's faithfulness and not our own. We look forward in hope to what God will continue to do in the church because we look back at the work he has already done. And what work has God already done? For that, we don't look back at the past 20 years. We look back the past 2,000 years, the faithfulness of God that he displayed in the sending of his one and only son, Jesus. That Jesus came as the faithful one to die for faithless sinners, people like you and me. When we broke faith with God, he did not break faith with us. Rather, he doubled down in his commitment. He looked again to his promise and he stamped it anew with his blood. And so in his faithfulness, Jesus came to love the church, die for the church, make the church his bride, and begin this work of sanctifying his church until he brings her to completion. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, what Christ did on that faithful day guarantees what Christ will do on that final day. And because Jesus took on Golgotha for us, we know he will take us up into glory 
one day. You see, the church whom he purchased is the church he is now purifying, is the church he will one day perfect. So we have hope in this. God is not yet done with us. This day, we're not just celebrating 20 years of God's faithfulness, the cornerstone. No, not at all. We're celebrating 2,000 years of God's faithfulness to his church that he has built upon the one true cornerstone, Jesus Christ himself. And so we look back, not to celebrate our glory. We look back so that we can look ahead. And in looking ahead, the future is wide open for us to dream of all the marvelous ways God can use this humble body to advance the good news, the hope and renewal of Jesus Christ to Lansdale and to the ends of the earth. Is it really possible for us to do this, this church? Oh, yes, it's possible. Because he who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Let's pray.